Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose a Christmassy episode of The Shadow entitled A Gift of Murder. The Shadow made his radio debut in 1930 as the sinister host of the Detective Story Magazine Hour, a radio series based on the magazine of the same name. The mysterious voice of The Shadow proved so popular that publishers Street and Smith hired writer, and weirdly enough, professional magician Walter B. Gibson to transform their radio host into the crime-fighting star of his own pulp magazine. In 1937, The Shadow returned to radio in his very own series starring Orson Welles as the Invisible Avenger and Agnes Moorhead as his friend and companion Margot Lane. The Shadow magazine ended in 1949, but the Shadow radio show lasted until 1954. Over the years, many actors played the title role, but one man cast the longest shadow, Brett Morrison. Morrison played the shadow for 10 of the show's 15 years, while Orson Welles portrayed the shadow as... Well, Orson Welles and Bill Johnstone gave the role a much-needed maturity and dramatic weight. It was Brett Morrison who believably embodied the two sides of the character, the youthful and jovial man about town and the dark and relentless crime fighter. Even after The Shadow ended, Morrison remained linked to the role. By the 1960s, The Shadow reappeared on radio in the form of syndicated reruns, and Morrison found himself in demand once again. He returned to the role of The Shadow in 1968 for a record featuring two brand new Shadow adventures, The Air Freight Fracas, and my personal favorite, The Computer Calculates, But The Shadow Knows. His final performance of The Shadow was in 1975 when he recreated an original script for a Golden Days of Radio celebration on WBZ in Boston. But now let's travel back to Morrison's heyday for a thrilling Christmas adventure originally broadcast December 21st, 1947. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret. The hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, A Gift of Murder. (laughs) 
It is an evening in late December. A fine flurry of snow is just beginning to fall from the darkening sky as a smartly dressed young woman knocks on the heavy door of Gerald Covington's country estate. Miss Eve. Surprised to see me, Doctor? Delighted to see you, Miss, and I know your brother will be overjoyed. Come in, come in. Mr. Gerald was saying only last week that he hoped you'd get back from Europe in time for the party tonight. Party? Did you say party? Yes, Miss. A party here? A little gathering in keeping with this glad season. As I remember Gerald, he considers all seasons equally glum. I, uh, know, Miss, but this, you see, is in honor of your Aunt Frances. In honor of Aunt Frances? Do you mean to tell me that Gerald is giving a party for Aunt Frances? Indeed, Miss. Why, I... Where is he? In the drawing room, trimming the Christmas tree. Trimming the... This I've got to see. Gerald! Eva! What a happy surprise, I can't tell you. A Christmas tree? Yes, I did it all myself. And presents? For your Aunt Frances. It is so strange, Eva, that I should want our aunt to have a lovely tree. Yes. My dear Aunt Frances is 72 years old. We may not have her with us long. Darling, last year she was 71, which isn't precisely adolescent. And all she got for Christmas was a dozen handkerchiefs and a cold in the head. Well, this year, things are somewhat different. So I noticed. Last time I was in touch with this little family circle, you and Clyde hated Aunt Frances like death and taxes. You may speak for our brother Clyde, but as for me, I've always adored the dear old soul. Really? Really. Uh, shall I show you what I have for her? Do. No. An antique music box, the sort of thing she loves, and in solid gold. Isn't it charming? Listen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Expensive item, I'd say. I paid $500 for it, but nothing's too good for dear old Aunt Frances. It isn't possible, is it, that Aunt Frances has come into money? Well, that is... She has. Well, the truth is an old admirer of hers, and Mr. Onslow Fraser remembered her in his will. How distinctly did he remember her, Gerald? Quite distinctly, Eva. She's inheriting a million dollars. Oh. And when did you hear of this? Only yesterday. A Mr. Elcott, attorney, member of the firm of Elcott, Elcott and Duveen in Boston, brought us the news. Now I see it all. The tree, the presents, the party. You're competing with Clyde for Aunt Frances' affection. I am only trying to brighten the end of her life. You are only trying to become the chief beneficiary of her will. Nonsense. I'm quite sure I will be a beneficiary, as you will either, though I doubt that Clyde will benefit very much, if at all. Why not? I'll tell you why not. It's amusing, really. Quite amusing. Day before yesterday, before Mr. Elkhart appeared, of course, Clyde was unfortunate enough to have written me a certain letter. Letter? A letter, my dear, suggesting that we put Aunt Frances in an old woman's home. No. Yes. <laughs> I have the fatal bit of correspondence. Keeping it carefully. And when Aunt Frances lays eyes on it, I shouldn't be surprised if she cuts Clyde out altogether. And you're going to let her lay eyes on it, of course. What do you think? Does Clyde know you do? Oh, my, yes. He's been on the phone for the past two days, begging and threatening my life by turns. Clyde is not a man to let himself be pushed too far, Joe. I'll risk his wrath. I must go upstairs and wrap the music box for Aunt Frances. If the guests arrive, you'll greet them for me, won't you? Who's coming? Principally the family. Clyde and our dear aunt. And possibly the lawyer, Mr. Elkhart. Anyone else? Just that young couple Aunt Francis is so fond of. Mr. Cranston and Margot Lane. Yes, she likes them. And it's my desire to please her, you know. You bet I know. I'll be down in a moment. Oh, let's see. This white piece of paper I think will be fitting. 
And the bright red ribbon for the holiday touch. Who's that? Oh, come in. I'll be finished with this wrapping in a moment. Oh, there. Now, I think this makes a very charming little gift, don't you? I said, don't you? I said... Touch of a Christmas carol before we make an entrance. Oh, I'd be glad to try. Very good, my lady. We shall fill the night with music. Of a sort. Me, 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 me. Me, me. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. What is that? Sounds as if something has someone very much dismayed. Ah! Ring the bell. Doctor. Mr. Crenshaw. What's the matter? You look as if you've seen a ghost. Not a ghost, sir. Five minutes ago, sir, Mr. Gerald came up here to his study to wrap this music box. And the next thing we knew, the shot was fired. Anyone else in the house beside you and Miss Eva? No. Yes. What? Mr. Clyde was here, miss. He rang the bell just after Mr. Gerald went upstairs. Where did he go? He pushed me aside and followed Mr. Gerald to his study. Look at this in the ashtray. A cigar. Still warm, too. One of Mr. Clyde's brand. Clyde murdered Gerald. No. He looked angry. But when I tried to stop it, he said he had to see Mr. Gerald on a matter of great urgency. What sort of matter? Something about a letter. A letter? Yes, there was a letter. Gerald told me about it just before he came upstairs. It must have been somewhere in the study. Probably the desk. He said he was keeping it to hold over Clyde's head. Yes, here it is. I'm afraid I'm a little baffled. Oh, it's only too simple. In this letter, Clyde suggested putting Aunt Frances in an old woman's home. What? But Aunt Frances just inherited a fortune. This letter was written day before yesterday. It wasn't until the next day that Mr. Elkhart appeared with the news about Onslow Fraser's will. But it's perfectly obvious what happened, isn't it? Mr. Clyde killed Mr. Gerald to get the letter back. But if he did, why didn't he take the letter with him? It's probably because you two came running too quickly. Yes. And not having gotten the letter... Don't you think Clyde may still be somewhere in this house, waiting his chance? If he is, I suggest Baxter be very careful. Why, sir? Because you know too much, and he knows you do. You mean you think he just killed one man, hasn't he? Listen. Someone moving about downstairs. Clyde! What are you going to do, Lamont? Don't worry, darling. Who's down there? Who is it? Answer me, or I'll shoot. You wouldn't shoot a defenseless old woman, would you? And so near Christmas, too. And Francis. Thank heavens. Lamont, let's go down before she comes up and sees Jerry. You go ahead, darling. I'll join you in a moment. Hello, Aunt Francis. Margo and Eva. Dear little Eva. When did you get back, child? Just today, Aunt Francis. Surprised to see me? Surprised and happy. But then all the surprises I've gotten lately have been happy ones. 
which reminds me, Miss Lane, Miss Covington, this is Miss Elkhart of Elkhart, Elkhart, and Disease. How do you do? Charmed, Miss Lane. You're the lawyer who brought the news about Onslow Fraser's will, aren't you? One and the same, Miss Covington. And happy I was to bear such tidings, just at this joyful season. I should say. Speaking of this joyful season, isn't there something in the drawing room that Aunt Frances would see, Eva? Yes, certainly is. What? Now, you're not to ask questions. Just stand where you are. Mm, make it easy. Now then, Margot, open the door. Merry, Merry Christmas, Aunt Frances. For me. All for you. A lovely tree. Indeed, a very lovely tree. It's so beautiful. It's really so beautiful. Now then, my dear. It's, it's been so long since I had a real Christmas. I'm, I've forgotten how wonderful it can be. Yes, one does forget how wonderful things can be. You rang for me, Miss Eva? Yes, Baxter. Merry Christmas, Baxter. The same to you, Aunt Frances. Do I have the eggnogs now, Miss Eva? I can't think of a better time. Shouldn't we wait for Gerald? Oh, I don't think so, Aunt Frances. And Clyde, where's Clyde? Right here, Aunt Frances. Oh, You don't think I'd miss your party, do you? Merry Christmas, Aunt Frances. And may you wear these for many, many happy years to come. For me, Clyde? For you. Oh, curls. A choker of perfectly matched curls. Miss Alcott, look. Exquisite. Really exquisite. You must have spent a fortune on these, Clyde. And I haven't a thing for you. That doesn't matter, Aunt Frances. Oh, but it does. I'm rich now, you know, and I insist that you tell me exactly what you'd like for Christmas. I'd like you to be well and happy. Ah, that's very sweet. But isn't there something you'd really like to have? I think I can tell you what Clyde would really like to have, Aunt Frances. What's that, Eva? A letter. Miss Eva, just what are you talking about, Eva? A letter, Clyde. A letter that you wrote Gerald day before yesterday. I never wrote Gerald a letter. Oh, no? How peculiar. And I have it right here, signed by you. May I see that? No, you may not. May I see that, Eva? You may not, Clyde. May I see it now, Eva? Oh, Mr. Covington. He's got a gun. Clyde. Hand it over. Come on. Give it to me. Thank you. Clyde, what's the meaning of this? There's no time to explain just now, Aunt Francis. I must go. However, I beg you not to believe any of the poisonous lies these people may tell you about me behind my back. I want you to know that I do wish you the very merriest... Drop that Drop it! Drop it! Drop it! Drop it! Drop it! Drop it! Pick up that gun, Baxter. Yes, sir. What do I do now, Take sir? Take Mr. Clyde up to the study and hold him there until the police arrive. <laughs> That's right. There's been a murder, and we're holding the culprit under guard. Yes, I suggest you get here as fast as you can. Are the police coming, Mr. Carson? Immediately, Mr. Elkhart. I'm sorry I had to spoil your Christmas party like this, Aunt Francis. Oh, Lamont, my dear, you had no choice. Aunt Francis. Yes, my dear? We found this upstairs. Little remembrance that Gerald bought for you. A music box. And a very lovely one. Listen. Oh, how charming. And look, it's gold. Not a gift for a golden-haired lady. What did you say, Mr. Elkhart? Why, it's the Johnson. Come on. That came from the back of the house. Clyde. He's killed Baxter. Come on, Margot. Baxter! 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 I'm all right, Miss Lane. Oh. Though I can't say as much for my prisoner. Clyde. He tried to escape, sir. So I was forced to shoot. Try to escape. How could he try to escape with you standing over him with a gun? I don't know, sir. But he did. And 
since the two of us were all alone here, I'm afraid, Mr. Cranston, you will just have to take my word for it. mansion, they found Baxter standing over Clyde Covington, a smoking revolver in his hand. A few moments later, in the massive entrance foyer. He killed Clyde deliberately, Lamont. I'm sure Baxter shot him in cold blood. I rather agree with you, Martha. But why? Possibly because Clyde had an alibi. An alibi Baxter didn't want him to use. Mm. I mean that Clyde may have not come to this house at all early in the evening. Not even to get the letter? He wasn't the only person who might have been interested in getting that letter, Margot. No? No. Baxter could have used it nicely to hold over Clyde's head as long as Aunt Francis lived. Bleeding him of a nice sum in the process. I see what you mean. Then it may have been Baxter who killed Gerald, too. I don't know. It's only a theory. Theories worth a visit from the shadow. Clyde's letter. Oh, what's it doing in his overcoat? 
must have grabbed it in the confusion. You know, it's just possible that our dignified old friend also saw the value in holding it over Clyde's head. Of course. After all, what do we really know about it? Not much. We're going to find out. Um, I want to make a long-distance call to Boston, Massachusetts. To what number, please? Oh, I don't know the number. It's the law firm of Elkhart, Elkhart, and, uh... Juveen. And Juveen. Yes, sir. I will place the call and ring you back. And make it fast, please. Yes, sir. And what do you really think? Time has come to stop thinking, Margot. We're on the verge of the kind of discovery that cracks the case wide open. Yes. Look, I want you to go into the drawing room. Elkhart will be there. Yes. I'll tell you exactly what I want you to do. When you get in... Francis? Lying down upstairs. She's had more excitement than she can very well stand. Sit down, Miss Lane. Thank you. Miss Eva and I were just saying that this case is becoming quite perplexing. It is indeed. This attack on Baxter is the most puzzling thing of all. Now that Clyde is dead, who could have done it? I don't know, but there's certainly no doubt that Clyde guilty of Gerald's murder. Baxter saw him run up to Gerald's study just before Gerald was killed. I'm afraid that's not true, Mr. Elkhart. Baxter admitted he was lying about that just before he was wounded. Is that so? But there's that cigar, the one that Miss Eva saw in the ashtray. Didn't that belong to Clyde? Yes, Mr. Elkhart, it did. It even had his initials on the band. You really think Clyde would have been foolish enough to leave a piece of evidence like that behind, Mr. Elkhart? Well, what... What are you suggesting, Miss Lane? I'm suggesting that with Clyde out of the way, the margin of guilt is narrowed down pretty closely, Mr. Elkhart. To me, Miss Lane? Yes. But to I... To you. I've been with Aunt Frances all afternoon. I was with her at the moment when Mr. Gerald was murdered. Can you prove that? Of course I can. Aunt Frances is right upstairs. You have my permission to ask her. Then it wasn't you? Obviously not. And obviously, Miss Lane... You can now draw the logical conclusion. Yes. I'm afraid we can. Before you do, put up your hand. Either. Put that gun away. I'm sorry, Mr. Elcott. I'm really quite sorry that you two, who aren't members of this greedy little family, had to stumble on the truth. Do you think you'll get away with this? I can try. There's a very slim chance that you'll succeed. For a million dollars, I'll take a very slim chance. The telephone. Sit right where you are. I'll answer it. Hello? Someone had just put in a call to the law firm in Boston, Massachusetts. Yes? We checked very carefully, miss. There's no such firm listed. What? There is no firm of Elkhart, Elkhart, and Duveen. What's the matter? Who are you, Elkhart? I'm almost sorry for you, Miss Evans. There is no firm of Elkhart, Elkhart, and Duveen. I know. And there's no million dollars. What? But you came here about Onslow Fraser's will. And Onslow Fraser never made a will. In fact, Onslow Fraser isn't even dead. Although just at this moment he almost wishes he were. Then you... Yes, I'm Frazier. Oh, I think I begin to see. I fell in love with Anne Frances years ago, when she was as young as you are tonight, Miss Lane. And I never fell out of love with her. Why did you have to pretend to us that she was inheriting a million? Why? Because I knew how dismally you and Clyde and Gerald had treated her. I had no money to help her with myself. And then the idea came to me, I could make it appear that she'd become an heiress. And then depend on your greed and deceit to provide her with at least one really merry Christmas. A very sweet idea, but... But a very dismal failure, I'm afraid. I'm afraid so, too. 
I'm afraid there'll still have to be two more murders before the party's over. Eva! There may not be a million dollars, but I still have my life to think of. Don't you realize the police are on their way? But they're not here yet, and I have a gun, and the door is open. What was that? Who closed that door? I did, Eva. (laughs) The door is no longer open. Who are you? I am the Shadow. What are you doing here? I've come to accuse Eva Covington of the murder of her brother, Gerald. It's a lie. A lie. You can't prove it. I can prove you contrived a neat little plot to murder Gerald and convince the world that Clyde had murdered him for an incriminating letter. No. You took Baxter in on your plan, promising him a part of the million dollars you hoped to get. That's why Baxter killed Clyde when he realized he could easily alibi his way out of the charge. How do you know all this? The Shadow knows. And I confronted Baxter, who was about to get the truth out of him. It was you who shot him to save your own skin. And I still have a skin to save. Either you open that door or I pull this trigger. Don't be a fool. I warned you. Let him. Stop that gun. Stop it. Stop it. Let me go. Let me go. As you please, Miss Eva. She's going out of the window. Yes, Mr. Elcott. <laughs> Straight into the arms of the police. the letter in your overcoat, and I thought you were the murderer, Mr. Alcott. I picked it up and hidden it so that Aunt Frances wouldn't see it, Miss Lane. Here she comes. Frances. Yes? I want you to know how sorry I am. Sorry? Why? I've made a tragic mistake. The gift of Christmas that I tried to give you turned out to be a gift of murder. Not really, Andrew. But Clyde and Gerald are dead. It was her own greed and ruthlessness that brought about their death. And besides, the world's better off without either of them. Much better. Nevertheless, I'm sorry. You shouldn't be. You've made me very rich. But the million dollars wasn't real, Francis. Oh, it isn't the million that's made me rich. It's your kindness and remembrance and the love of your heart. That's real, isn't it? Yes. Then, Anslow. My dear? Must you take that back? Francis. You mean... I'm alone, and so are you. My darling. Well, what do you know? It looks like it'll be a merry Christmas after all. With many more to come. of murder from the series The Shadow here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was super fun because it's never not fun to listen to The Shadow. Even if there's an episode that I end up thinking, boy, I really hated everything about that. I still had a great time. Because The Shadow's in it. Because The Shadow's (laughs) in it. Exactly right. 
which makes critiquing, as we're about to do, the shadow hard because I believe I am horribly tainted, that I do not have an objective view on the shadow because you're stupid if you didn't like it. <laughs> and that's the end of our podcast. <laughs> Be well, sure to go to ghoulishdelights.com. <laughs> I do not have the same background as the shadow. I'm a newcomer to the, the joys of the shadow, so I feel like I can give a little more nuanced opinion. So you, you're going to say you liked it? It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly well made It's incredibly fun uh-huh. With every episode of The Shadow I hear now I grow so disturbed for these characters Like They're, they're sociopaths Yes <laughs> Wall-to-wall sociopaths in the world of The Shadow Oh yeah And no one seems to blink about it nope. you know, My favorite thing will jump to the end It's why I love this episode Is the cheery Christmas <laughs> ending to it Where they reveal that I, I wanted to give you a gift of the perfect Christmas But instead I gave you a gift of murder And they're just like Well, they deserved it <laughs> Uh, What I wrote was, they really recovered from murder quickly back in the old days, didn't they? Because no matter what, they just had this gruesome two people shot in the house on Christmas Day, and they're like, moving ahead. And one of their family members was the murderer. It wasn't even a stranger who came in and did it. So their entire family was just wiped out by murder or incarceration. The bodies are still there. Oh, yeah. It's all happened within, I'm guessing, about a two-hour frame here. Tops. And we are right tops, and we're going to open presents and get married, apparently, and it's, we are moving on. Yes, Tim, they're, they are sociopaths. There is, Margo assures us that it will be a Merry Christmas after all. Yes. <laughs> there is something to the shadow himself, though. We've talked about this before, that I love old-time radio heroes, and we use the Lone Ranger as an example a lot, but infallible heroes mm-hmm. and how Marvel comics starting at the Silver Age in 1960 or whatever, uh, where they became fallible, where we got to see cracks in the armor and we got to see that they struggled with day-to-day things. And I think that's great. And it's great storytelling. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. I go to the movies. I love them. But I also adore infallibility and the idea that They are not affected, that they are above reproach. They are not stunned by anything. (laughs) Tim's sociopath is Eric's infallible hero. (laughs) Right. You call it a sociopath, and in real life, they would be. That's a terrible way to... Well, and and to be clear, in this case, wasn't referring to Lamont, Shadow, and Margot. It's mostly that no one stopped to say, oh, and this is horrible. Right, but that doesn't happen in any show. No, there it's one point. Like, just don't tell Aunt Frances. We'll just they start opening <laughs> presents and stuff, and their her nephews are dying upstairs. They're already dead. Only the butler survives his gunshot because they they say that he He's, was wounded. Oh, so he did. Yeah, they, it's a throwaway reference later. He doesn't show up again, but they say, "Oh, he's wounded." So they wanted to make sure. Well, at least the help didn't get killed off. <laughs> right. We we could also call him the butler or ridiculously obvious red herring. (laughs) What I liked about the structure of the story is that they just went through and made every single character a suspect at one point and then ruled them out until there was literally nobody left except the killer. And then they went, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so it didn't even really need the shadow to solve this. The shadow did very little. He just scared her he out of the window. Door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he closed the door and scared her out the window into the arms of the police. I mean, he yes. had the easiest Christmas adventure ever. <laughs> well, not only that, the sh- he becomes the shadow to go talk to the butler and say, you know, confess, confess as the shadow. Lamont could have done that. 
It's not as scary. No, he just not for the hey, story. He confess. Been, he, yeah, he no? chuckled and been debonair and had a drink in his hand. <laughs> you know, seems to me that you killed that guy. And I may, I may have had the details wrong, but in my head, he was interrogating him in a pantry or something like that, some sort of closed space. It was left open to your imagination. Somewhere a butler would be. Well, somewhere that would be really awkward yeah. to have someone shoot the butler yeah. on they, they crawled into the Lazy yeah. Susan. They were just <laughs> <laughs> cramped in there. So Elcott, who is Aunt, uh, what's her name? Francis. Her old boyfriend from years mm-hmm. past. I'm going to admit something. I didn't go back to grab it. I just said, oh, I made a note. So just ask Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> he appeared in the story at, you know how you sometimes have those moments where you, you miss a thing or two because you drift off for half a second? Mm-hmm. I, all of a sudden, Elcott was in the story. <laughs> like he just appeared. And I'm like, well, wait, who's this guy? Elcott. Uh, so when did he appear in the story? The exposition comes fast and furious. That's one of the things so I kind of like about me. this is that they set up an entire murder mystery and everyone's motives in about five and a half minutes at the top of the show yep. before Lamont and Margot show up. And we find out, oh, they're friends of Aunt Francis, so they've been invited. No one seems really happy about it either. Um, <laughs> right. Alcott shows up with Aunt Francis at the door. Remember the, the Lamont yeah. and Margot are already there, and Lamont pulls a gun on her. <laughs> She's like, don't shoot. I'm a defenseless old woman right, or something right, like that. Right, 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 right. But his plan, and I want to make sure that... <laughs> Let's talk about his plan. His plan. Best, worst plan ever. <laughs> and the... <laughs> It's like, and there's no remorse at all for this terrible plan. <laughs> no, he plan. does say, I'm sorry. Yeah, he did say he was sorry. I guess it was a gift of murder. He admits it. <laughs> then he went and put a bow on the dead bodies. Uh, his plan was to pretend there was an inheritance, so Aunt Francis would be given a party. And mm-hmm. that resulted in people freaking out and two murders committed, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm very serious about this question. Is he not accountable for something in that situation, for the fraud he perpetrated, wouldn't he be responsible for those well, murders in some a, he's connection? He's not a real lawyer. He didn't actually tell someone who hired him that he was a lawyer. All he did was tell some greedy family Still, members that he was a lawyer. A lot of people lie about their careers to their extended families. But, but <laughs> I'm no law expert. Right. But I don't think he'd be criminally responsible. An argument could be made for a civil case. Yeah. Absolutely, an argument but, of some kind that if he hadn't done this stupid thing, they would be alive. But so everyone agrees at the end that all these people deserved what they got. Merry Christmas. Let's go caroling. <laughs> right. <But laughs> and they're kind of true. World, they're pretty awful people. Did he tell the aunt that he was rich? The aunt seemed to be in on it, and he was apologizing that he pitched this plan to her. She knew it. She never thought that she was actually going to be rich. She was deceiving them as well to get a $500 music box. How much was that in 1940? Here's my point on that. They're really excited that they're going to make a million dollars. They live in a mansion. In a mansion with a butler and afforded a $500 music box, which, to your point, I believe was. A million dollars in 1947. <laughs> Why are they so excited about this inheritance? They should have been in the, you know, Charlie's house from Willy Wonka. That's where they should have been living. I think the writer was trying to have it both ways. If these guys were too poor, you might pity them. Right. And so he wanted you to not like them because they were rich people looking for more right. money. I can get that. You know what's better than my money? That guy's money. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, they're not likable. No. 
I do enjoy this period of the shadow for the sense of humor that Lamont and Margot have with each other. And some of the dialogue is just so pulpy and lovely and over the top. Like when they go caroling and they're singing, God rest you married gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. And then screams and gunshots and uh, says something along. It sounds like someone has been very much dismayed or, you know, they knock on the door and he says to the butler, you look like you've seen a ghost. Not a ghost, a corpse sting. You know, it's just all that heightened (laughs) melodrama. But they're very aware of it. This is the intention of the writer. There's something about The Shadow and shows like this, and the reason I like them is because of that simplicity. It's because I don't have to bend my brain too hard. It's just very easy to digest. Just such a simple story with a really cool character. And I think what makes The Shadow work so well is the concept stands the test of time. The power to cloud men's minds and becoming invisible because you can control them through a type of hypnotism is a very cool power to have. But I think that there are frequent episodes where they <laughs> they force him to become the shadow because you, you can't have an episode and become the shadow when it, he's not really needed to be the shadow. <laughs> Do you remember the 70s Captain Marvel Shazam You know, the live action, Mm -hmm. the terrible. Oh, do I? So there was one, I was watching it for some reason, because now you can watch everything again. There's an episode where the boy, he says Shazam and becomes Captain Marvel, right? So this whole episode's going on, and he's not needed whatever the plot was. (laughs) At one point, trying to get a can (laughs) off the top shelf (laughs) that he can't reach. So he says, Shazam! And they do all the, and all the gods show up and say all things, and he becomes him, and he's in the suit. He just reaches up. And he gets the can. And then goes back to being a kid. And that's the only appearance in the 30 minutes of Captain Marvel to get a can off the top shelf. It is amazingly beautifully funny. And I know that the writers went, we forgot to turn him into Captain Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Wrote a whole thing. I don't know if you guys, obviously you'd have more knowledge of Shadow overall than I do. But one of the things I enjoy very distinctly from many other hero types is that he's never fighting crime for personal reasons, it seems like it's, this is crime, I fight it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's not for any sort of a personal investment of, you know, or praise or celebrity, because he's wealthy and rich and has everything he wants in life, as Lamont fund. Cranston. Although, strangely, everyone seems to know, Shadow, it's the Shadow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, I find it interesting also that this really popular, really rich socialite that is very well known is spending Christmas Day at this one person's house. That's <laughs> a party the, where apparently he and Margo were the only people invited. invited because Aunt So-and-so likes them. Nobody else invited. I love this episode. And part of the reason I chose it is I actually had a difficult time choosing a Christmas episode this year because it seemed like everything I listened to was either horribly bleak. There are a lot of really bleak old-time radio Christmas stories that we'll mm-hmm. share for another year. Forget old-time th- radio, just the little match girl, for example. <laughs> the actual Christmas stories can be really bleak. Right. But also, a lot of them are really saccharine, too, on the mm-hmm. other end, when I listened to them and had some tacked-on happy ending. And this seemed to have a, a meta-self-aware tacked-on happy ending after this <laughs> bloodbath. And I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly my mood this Christmas. <laughs> Let's tack a happy ending on this bloodbath of a year. <laughs> You just wrapped up my entire process in writing the Shade Brigade Christmas special. That's exactly what blam, I Blam, blam, blam. Lulu, yeah. Lulu, Lulu. <laughs> you just did that whole thing and 
Six seconds. That's exactly what it is. Except mine is, look, robots, clang, clang, clang. <laughs> they fight robots, and then they, they sing Christmas carols. It's beautiful. Perfect. It's all you need. Well, let's vote on this thing. Um, perfect. Stends the test of time. Greatest radio show I've ever listened to. Uh, it's, it's great. It was a great amount of fun, especially for a holiday old-time radio, and it, for the exact reasons you just said, Joshua. Mm-hmm. It was exactly perfect. It gave me great joy to laugh at the ridiculousness of it at yes. times. And I, I say it stands the test of the time, despite acknowledging that to some listeners' ears it might seem hokey. rickety, hokey, or yeah. strained. I would yeah. sit down with those listeners and have a <laughs> discussion with them about authorial intent. And I do think uh, a lot of it was intentional at the time, whether it's your taste or not. I think it's a, a really clever and, at a lot of times, tongue-in-cheek, pulpy episode mm-hmm. that stands the test of time. I would go so far as say this is a classic. It's, the Shadow was a lot of fun, and... Uh, even acknowledging the, the moments that are alarming to my modern ears of like, somebody, please step in and help these people. <laughs> They're dying. <laughs> Is there an adult in the room, please? <laughs> but acknowledging that's more me than the story. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, I just remembered one more thing that I have to say. <laughs> it's when Clyde, the one brother, pulls a gun on everybody and slowly backs out of the room and then says to the aunt, don't believe their poisonous lies as he's pointing a gun <laughs> right. at his aunt. It has right. all those great stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the Christmas we all know. <laughs> <laughs> the Shadows Dysfunctional Family Christmas, for sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And, Tim? Hey, uh, if you're not there already, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other information about Ghoulish Delights, the producing company of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. Yes, and go to iTunes, please, and write a review. Write us a Christmas review, like a Christmas special review. A bloody one with a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's next? You. Oh, it's mine, huh? We're going to be listening to another episode of The Weird Circle with a uh, Christmas theme to it of sorts, and we're going to be hearing the episode Markheim. Until then... The gift of Christmas that I tried to give you turned out to be a gift of murder. And besides, the world's better off without either of them. Much better. What do you know? It looks like it'll be a Merry Christmas after all. <laughs>